You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. When you think about retirement, do you have a strategy to help your money last as long as you do? That is the biggest fear by far for women. To help make sure you're ready for the future, schedule your complimentary wealth checkup at planefe.com slash hermoney. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I try to think about stuff in categories. So my pantry is actually organized by like sweet stuff, salty stuff, acidic stuff, spicy stuff. And then within there, you know, you can just swap around. So if I'm out of soy, I can just reach for another salty thing like miso and I know I'll be okay. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. So Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, they are not only the places that we go these days for cute dog videos or the latest viral trends, they're also where many of us discover new favorite recipes. Sure, maybe we still turn on the Food Network for a little company in the background or thumb through a glossy magazine when we have time to kill in an airport, but many of us cook. Yeah, we cook step by step with the folks that we follow online. And who are those folks? Well, they're different too. They're not necessarily chefs or even restaurateurs. They're not necessarily in a kitchen decked out with the latest in multi-thousand dollar gear. They're just people. They're people who cook. People like Sola El Whaley. Now, for those of you who somehow don't know Sola, she is a culinary creator, a writer, a video producer, and a community advocate. If you don't know her from Bon Appetit's YouTube channel, you've probably seen her on The Big Brunch on HBO Max or her newest show, Ancient Recipes with Sola on the History Channel. She's on the cover of Cherry Bomb this month in an issue titled The Future of Food. And if that's not enough, she just put out one of the most anticipated cookbooks of the fall. It's called Start Here, Instructions for Becoming a Better Cook. Sola, thanks so much for being here. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for doing this. I got to say, I love that you titled the book Instructions for Becoming a Better Cook and not a Better Chef, because I cook all the time and still the word chef makes me really nervous and anxious, probably more than it should. Why do you approach it that way? I cook all the time and I hate the word chef. Chef makes me think of someone like yelling in a kitchen, throwing a pan at you. And that's not the kind of food person I want to be. And it also kind of makes me think specifically restaurant, which feels a little intimidating. I like the word cook because everyone can cook. Everyone already does cook. And I'm just here to help you level it up. 
We love that. Where did the topic for this book in particular come from? Every book kind of has a genesis. Tell me about this one. Well, I feel like I learn better when I have a lot of information. In my culinary journey, whether I was in a professional kitchen or just like following a recipe, a lot of times someone just tells you to do something. They don't tell you why. They don't tell you how something works. And you're just trying to memorize steps and commands. And I find it very hard to work that way. Like I can remember what I need to do to make a recipe a lot more easily if I know exactly why I need to do that step, what that step does. So the idea with this book is here to answer those like hows and whys and give you more context behind everything. And the idea is that you're not going to leave with a bunch of recipes that you're going to love, which I definitely hope you do. But you're going to leave with techniques that you can use throughout your life in your kitchen that will stick with you because I've given you stories to help you understand how things work. I think that is so smart. And so much of the way that we approach money at Her Money is similar. We can tell people what to do, but until we tell them why they're doing it or help them figure out how it relates to their life and why they should care about it, those tips and tricks and steps are going to fly right out the window. You open the book with an anecdote about a personal anecdote about how you were never a great student, how you dropped out of college and almost failed your final culinary exam because you were struggling to learn the way that they said you were supposed to learn. We recently had Misty Copeland on the other podcast that we produce at Her Money. It's called How She Does It. It's hosted by Karen Feinerman. I hope all of my listeners are also listening to that. But Misty Copeland said pretty much the same thing. She had a difficult time in school. And when she started ballet, it all made sense to her. She said, ah, this is the way I'm supposed to learn. Tell me about how you learn. And how you've brought that method forward? Well, I feel like oftentimes standard education is a bit rigid and everyone's supposed to work at the same pace in the same way. Just read books and listen to lectures. And I just can't process information that way. Like I really cannot. That's why food was so exciting because you get to get hands on when you're in the kitchen. You're using your hands, using all of your senses, and you're really being thoughtful. If you're doing it right, you're being thoughtful. And I feel like that's why food was the first time I got really excited. And it was kind of a window for me to learn about a lot of other things. That's kind of what's great about food. You start cooking a dish and, and it's like opening you up to a different culture which leads you into history. There's so much science and obviously there's math. So I just feel like it's a great way to get into learning about a lot. You've intentionally designed this book to make it accessible. There are easy recipes, there are intermediate recipes, there are advanced recipes. I have a lot of cookbooks. If I took you into my kitchen, you would see I have a whole section of my kitchen devoted to cookbooks because I like to read them. But what's interesting to me is that I don't cook from all of them because some of them I find kind of intimidating when it comes to actually getting out my knives and starting to make something. Tell me a little bit about how you are making cooking accessible through this book. Well, I feel exactly the same. I have so many cookbooks that I actually never cook out of. 
and for so many different reasons, like one basic thing is I'm just really bad at reading really, really bad. And cookbooks are so hard to read because there's like numbers and letters and fractions and all these things. So when I really wanted to cook out of a cookbook, I had to really dedicate myself and I had to rewrite a recipe before I could read it. I would rewrite it in my own handwriting and in my own format. Otherwise, I just couldn't follow it. And that's a lot more dedication than most people will have to a recipe. So we started off with just trying to format it in a way that felt easier to read. So we picked a very clear, easy to read font. The font is a little bigger than your standard cookbook, which was kind of controversial because it means more pages, which means more money for the publisher. That's why the book is also like the page size is a little big because I want you to be able to put it on your counter and be able to read it. I also have terrible vision. (laughs) So that's an issue. And then we decided to add lines under the ingredients and have big step numbers and big page numbers and I think if I can read this recipe, hopefully other people can too, because I can't read most things. And then that's also why I put in lots of notes at the top of each recipe, like whether it's intermediate, advanced, or easy, because I think you should know what you're getting yourself into and how long a recipe might take, because some things might look really complicated, but they're super easy and I want you to feel like you can jump in. And then other recipes might look simple and are really difficult. And I want you to know what you're getting yourself into. Right at the top of the book, there's a recipe index that tells you if something's gluten-free, vegan, because I want it to make it easy for you to actually cook out of the book. But I want it to be more than a recipe book. But I still want the recipes to be great. Hopefully we did it all. No, I do think so. And I'm learning in just talking to you, I'm understanding more and more about why you're such a good teacher. Because I'm a bad student. <laughs> no. Well, maybe. When I go to explain some new financial concept, I go through the same process that you just described. I write it out like longhand, and then I get rid of the extraneous information so that you can get it down to its essence and get rid of sort of the junk that people don't need to know so that you can give them what they do need to know. And that's what you get from this book. And it's also, it's reminiscent to me a little bit, all the notes of one of my favorite cookbooks of all time, which is the Silver Palette cookbook. Oh, that's a great one. I still have recipes that I go back to and they're the authors of that cookbook scribbled in the margins and brought me into their thought process about how I should approach these different things. A lot of us know you originally from your videos and have learned a lot from your videos. How's the book different than the videos? Well, the great thing about a book is I can just give you more information. So much about a video, you try and be as educational as possible. But with videos, it's about entertainment first. So you got to keep things moving. I can't give you as much context as I'd like to. You wouldn't believe how much stuff gets cut out of a video because I could ramble on and on about salting pasta water for hours and nobody (laughs) wants to watch that. (laughs) So I just can give you more. And I think the great thing about a book is you can go at your own pace. You're not like rushed through a recipe. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about food in general. And from this perspective, we run a coaching program here at Her Money called Finance Fix, where we help people get a little closer to their money so that they can spend a little less, save a little more, use it to really reach their personal goals. Everybody gets stuck with the amount of money that they spend on food. So think about that for one quick sec. We are going to take a quick break. 
Hey, Her Money family, here's a fun announcement. Our 400th episode is coming up. Can you believe it? And I want you to call in to ask me anything. Do you have questions about your financial life, your retirement, your kids, your house? What about if you and your partner are splitting bills fairly? I want to talk about every single bit of it. So Email us at mailbag at hermoney.com. Send your question, but also send your details how to get in touch with you because we want to get you on the air. Can't wait. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. Whether your retirement is a few decades away or right around the corner, you need a strategy to help make sure you have enough saved and invested to do and see and experience what you want most. It's time to make sure your money is working for you. It's been more than a year now that I've been working with the planners from Edelman Financial Engines as the host of the Everyday Wealth Podcast. I am a fan of their holistic approach, the fact that they don't just look at your investments, but at your whole life. You can request a complimentary wealth checkup at planefe.com slash hermoney. And we are back with Sola El Whaley, author of the new fabulous cookbook, Start Here. So we were talking about Finance Fix and how after running this course with 500 women, we know, we really know from digging into their money that one of the biggest categories women and people in general feel that they are overspending on is food, both inside the house and outside the house. What is your approach to spending money on food? How do you shop? Well, I dedicate probably more of my income to food than the average person because it is such a priority. Like I'd rather skip a vacation and get that organic chicken, but I know that's not most people's lives. <laughs> I definitely know that's not most people's lives, but I feel like it's also just about priorities. You don't need to get everything organic or local. Think about the stuff that really matters to you and decide. For me, that's eggs and dairy. Those are like the places where I don't like to compromise and I do like to spend a bit more. And if that means that I can afford less protein, that's okay for me. If that means I need to save money by buying dried beans instead of canned beans. I'll make that choice. Or you can actually save a lot of money on produce if you know what you're looking for. Produce is one place where you want to buy it on sale. Wait a minute. Explain that to me. So if you see any fruit or vegetable on sale, that is a move. The cool thing is when fruit is on sale, that's when you know it's ripe. That means it's very delicious. That's when it's like peak and ready to eat and like bursting. That's not great for the grocery store because it also means that it's not going to last for much longer. So I always get produce and fruit and veggies like on sale. That's when you know it's going to be perfect. Protein is something that you should not buy on sale. If a package of chicken's on sale, that means it's on its way out. If you're going to cook it that same day, that's okay. But oftentimes that's not how you end up shopping. You end up shopping for the week. Who has time to shop every day? So I think that's a great move. You see a bag of apples that are on sale. They're going to be super sweet. I love that. What if you buy the whole bag of apples and you know that you are not going to eat the whole bag that day? There's so much food waste in this country. 40%, as you know, of food is wasted. How do you take the food that you buy and make sure that you actually use it? 
Well, I think that's where really understanding how a recipe works can help you because that's where you can start making substitutions. I think a big place where people have waste is with greens and herbs because those go bad so fast. But oftentimes they're all interchangeable. Really? Yeah. Like if you see a recipe with parsley and you have dill, just use the dill. All root veggies can swap in for each other. You can use a beet in place of a carrot, in place of a parsnip. So that's why with the book, I'm trying to teach you to think about stuff in like their core categories and how they cook so you can really understand how to make swaps. Because that's how you can really save on food waste because oftentimes you'll buy a bag of carrots for this one recipe and you have like half of it left and you don't know what to do with it if you understand that, oh, I can just use this in place of potatoes in this stew you can just save that stuff from going bad. That's amazing. My daughter, Julia, who does our mailbag segment with us and is a a huge fan of yours, has just moved in with her boyfriend and they are in the process of really building a pantry. And she was complaining about how expensive it is just to buy the ingredients when you actually don't have the spice for the first time you have to load up on it but then it feels like you can not buy them a little bit down the road yeah i think that same thing with a lot of spices and seasonings i try to think about stuff in categories so my pantry is actually organized by like sweet stuff salty stuff acidic stuff spicy stuff and then within there you know you can just swap around so if i'm out of soy I can just reach for another salty thing like miso and I know I'll be okay. If I'm out of chili paste, I know I can reach for gochujang. So I think thinking about food in categories can make it easier for you to stock your pantry and use what you have and not always have to run out to the store to make a recipe work. Amazing. We are heading into the holiday season and a lot of us bake for the holidays. We buy gifts of food for the holidays. We have people over at the holidays. What's your approach to big holiday gatherings? Well, I think you can outsource a lot of stuff and make things easier for you. And, and I think it's more fun. I used to want to make everything for every holiday meal. And if people were coming over, I'd want to make breakfast and snacks and all this stuff. And now I'm a big fan of the potluck. I think a potluck for the holidays is so fun because everyone gets really into it. And regardless of like the skill level your family members at, they can participate because you just have to commit to making one thing. And that way no one's really breaking the bank. And it feels more communal. I think it's really fun. We did a potluck for Thanksgiving last year and it almost felt like school because we sat around the table and everyone presented their dish and they were like (laughs) so proud and so excited. And it was really fun because everyone's take on stuff is so different from yours. So it just turns into a really eclectic and cool holiday spread instead of just you trying to come up with everything yourself. And, And it just takes the stress off of you as the host. It's true. And and I also think people want to participate. They want to bring something. I had the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah at my house, and we ended up with two kinds of brisket because my cousin Eileen said her kids only like her brisket, but then they actually ate the other brisket. People just say everybody has foods around different holidays, I think, that are special to them. And they want to share those foods with the other people at the party or around the table. And it's helpful. You mentioned that you divide your pantry into salty and sweet and acidic. I noticed the cookbook is sort of divided 
that way as well. It's divided their savory, their sweet pastries. Do you have a different approach to baking than you do to cooking? Well, I feel with cooking, you can be really loose. I actually, for the savory side, I didn't even want to have amounts because you really don't need them. You know, I don't want to chop an onion and then measure it in a cup. That's not how an intuitive cook works. Oh, I never measure it. They say one large onion, which should be, I don't know, a cup and a half. I never, I just throw it in. More onion, more better. <laughs> It'll be fine. Like you really don't have to measure that much with recipes for savory. A lot of it's just like kind of getting what the steps of the recipe are. Like, oh, you're going to brown your chicken and then you're going to sweat your veggies and then you're going to add your broth. And then I actually think if you are too precise, you might be like losing that intuition if you're setting a timer to see how long it takes for your onions to sweat. So I like to be more loose with savory. I like to encourage people to make substitutions. I don't want you to go out and buy a small onion if I ask for a medium onion. Just use the onion you have. But with pastry, it has to be precise. So with pastry, I have everything in grams. I really recommend using a scale. And that's a place where you got to work a little bit more like a, a scientist. You can't really make substitutes. Something that might seem harmless, like swapping the granulated sugar in a cake for brown sugar, will actually completely throw off the leavening. And you might have a cake that just is flat. So you, you have to follow the rules a bit more when you're making pastry. But I think it's cool to do both because when you, when you can do these two very opposite things, I think it makes you better at each thing. The precision that you need to practice for pastry just makes it a little bit more precise for savory. And that loose vibe of savory can help you relax a bit more when you do pastry. So I, I like doing both, and I think every good cook should be able to do both. So I put both in the book. So I use a scale when I'm making bread, but I don't typically use a scale when I'm making cakes or cookies. It's important. Definitely. Definitely. Something simple like flour, depending on who's measuring it, a one cup of flour can go weigh anywhere from four ounces or six ounces. So that can really throw off your recipe. So I, I always recommend using a scale, but it's never ever perfect because everyone's kitchen is different. It's just something to remember, but you can get really close to perfect with a scale. The way that you talk about it being scientific reminds me of the novel Lessons in Chemistry. Have you read it? I have it, but I have it. I got it. <laughs> I, I plan to read it. You have to read it because it is about a scientist who finds her way into a cooking show. And that's how she makes her way through the world. The woman, the protagonist, she reminds me a little of you in the way that you stood up for yourself as you moved your career forward. And I, I know that we are talking about your cookbook here, but I'm just wondering, we are a show for women talking about all the different aspects of their money, talking about how to negotiate, how to invest, how to save, how to get the house you want, how to figure out what your goals are. And to me, you're a rock star. The way that you stood up for yourself and said, I am worth more is incredible and really brave. And so I'm just wondering if there's anything that you typically tell women about that experience and about how you feel in the aftermath? Well, I feel like everybody knows me for that moment because it was the most public, but I've always stood up for myself. And 
it more often than not backfires. And I think that's going to happen. And you can't let it change how you feel about yourself and you can't let it change what you do. You have to always keep standing up for yourself. And, and oftentimes people won't support it and that's fine. Sometimes you have to be your own supporter and push forward and ultimately you'll be okay as long as you believe in yourself. I don't know, that's so cheesy, but it's true. <laughs> Most of my career, I was out there alone, just cooking in a basement alone. <laughs> you know? I feel the same way. I feel like if you're not going to believe in yourself, asking others to believe in you is a tougher ask. It starts with you. Like you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe you're worth more and uh, just keep fighting for it and you'll get there. The new book is called Start Here. Instructions for Becoming a Better Cook. Sola, if our listeners want more of you besides buying the book, which I hope they will all do, where should they go? Well, I have a series with History Channel that started where we make ancient recipes, and you can check that out on their YouTube. And I also have a new masterclass coming out in the fall. If you want to hang out with me more, subscribe to Masterclass. We've got a whole series up there. And I think that's it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Thanks for having me. Before we dive into our mailbag, a quick word from our sponsors. Hey there, listeners. It's Nima Gobier. I'm the co-host of MindShift, the podcast where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I don't teach math. I don't teach reading. I teach people. You'll hear from teachers, parents, researchers, and students as we uncover innovative approaches in and out of the classroom. It holds a lot about how we want students and young people to move through the world, how we want to set them up for success. Find MindShift wherever you get your podcasts. Dive into the heart of crime with Foul Play Crime Series. Immerse yourself in the most perplexing cases where each twist and turn is more baffling than the last. With riveting storytelling and detailed analysis, Foul Play brings the unsolved and unexplained to life, captivating your imagination. Listen to Foul Play Crime Series now, where every story is a puzzle waiting to be solved. And we are back for Mailbag. My daughter, Julia Chatsky, is joining us. Hey, Jules. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. I totally understand why you're such a fan of Solas. She's the best. Well, she's so real. Yeah. I mean, my favorite parts of that conversation were her takes on what to do if you don't have an ingredient. You know, just use something else. You need something spicy. All right. You don't have that. Use the other thing. You need an herb and you don't have basil. Use some dill. Use some thyme. Use some tarragon. It's like, well, I can do that. And then I don't have to go to the store. Yeah, exactly. She's so fun. She's quick on her feet. She's a really good resource. Yeah. Are there other people that you find are sort of in that world that you turn to for those sorts of cooking answers? Totally. Like who? Um, there's a woman on TikTok Cat Ken Cook. I love her. I love Meredith Hayden of Wishbone Kitchen. Um, who else do I love? Those are like my go-tos normally. Molly Baz always. Molly Baz is, is really great. She's very fun. And I love getting your Sunday night 
emails or texts where you show me the food prep that you've done for the week. I think that's amazing. Yeah, we're definitely doing a little bit of it here, trying to, and it's been fun. Excellent. All right, let's answer some questions. All right. Our first question comes to us from an anonymous listener. She writes, I just re-listened to the December 2018 podcast on 529s. I've been struggling with opening 529s for each of my six grandchildren, ages several months to seven and a half, living in three different states. Just for some background, my husband and I are retired, but under 60 years old. My question to you is multifaceted. I live in Florida, where there is no state tax benefit for contributing to a 529. So what is the difference between putting money in a 529 or just putting it into an S&P 500 ETF or mutual fund knowing its goal is for the education of the grandkids? I'm not sure at this time which of the grandkids will be going to college. One set of parents did not. Another set of parents are currently working full-time and going to school. If 529s are truly the best options for kids, how do I choose which ones? By the state they live in, the state I live in, or just whichever is highly recommended? Or are there other criteria I should consider? Well, first of all, this is just so nice, right? I mean, how amazing that you want to help set your grandchildren up for the future. There are parents out there everywhere who are thinking that they wish that their parents would be doing the very same thing because the cost of college has just gotten so, so expensive. Let me break down your question and just answer it in parts. The benefit to a 529 is that even if you don't get a state tax deduction or any other benefit for making a contribution, the money in that 529 will grow tax-free. And then as long as it is used for educational expenses, when it's pulled out, there won't be any taxes owed. That's a big advantage over putting money in a mutual fund in what would likely be an UGMA account, a uniform gift to minors account, where there would be taxes owed and you would have to deal with those things. So I think the 529 is the right route. As far as the kids not going to college, that's less of a risk than it used to be when it comes to 529s because new rules have said you can take up to $35,000 out of a 529 and roll it into a Roth IRA without penalty. The old rules said that there would be a 10% penalty on any money earned, any gains that you had. So you really don't have to worry about that as long as you're not going to amass more than $35,000 per child in the account. As far as where to open the 529, because you have no state tax deduction potential because of where you live in Florida, I'd just look for the best rated 529s in the country. And the easiest way to do that is by going to a website called savingforcollege.com. And they give star ratings, kind of like Morningstar for 529 plans. And you can find the best performing plans in the country. So the ones that they like right now are the smart 529 West Virginia Direct College Savings Plan 
Edvest, which is from the state of Wisconsin, the Future Scholar 529 plan, which is only available to residents of South Carolina. So that takes you out of that. They also like the Education Plans College Savings Program and ScholarShare. Those are sort of the top five at this moment. But by going to this website, you'll be able to do a very quick search and see which plans are available to you and which you want to go with. And then I would just start making contributions on a regular basis, knowing that you're giving your grandchildren an amazing, amazing gift for years to come. So thanks so much for writing. And thanks for listening back to the 2018 episode. I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, absolutely. We have almost 400 episodes. We've got our 400th coming up really soon, and we're going to be talking to our listeners and answering their questions all episode. I'm very excited about that. So exciting. All right, should we get to the next one? Yes, please. Our next question comes to us from Courtney. She writes, Hi, Jean. This might be a silly question, but can you explain the credit score ramifications of selling a house during a divorce? We lived there eight years, and all of our payments were on time, but we had to sell to divide assets. I was at home, and I don't have much individual credit history, but I was joint on the mortgage, so I'm wondering what happens to my credit score in the short and long term after selling, paying off the balance of the loan, and dividing the remaining equity. I just want to embrace myself for the fallout if it's going to represent a 300-point drop in my score or something like that. Thank you. Really, really good question, Courtney. I'm sorry that you are going through this. I hope that you're doing okay. And please don't worry about a 300-point drop in your score. That is not going to happen. Having a mortgage with a positive payment history on your credit report, it's a big plus for your credit. But you're not going to lose the track record of having that mortgage and having that positive payment history just because you sell your home. It's not going to vanish overnight. What I do want is for you to take some steps to build your individual credit history coming out of this marriage. So if you're going to be renting, I want you to look for a service like Experian Boost, for example, that will uh, make sure that the fact that you are paying your rent on time gets counted uh, toward your personal good credit. I also want you to get a credit card in your own name. Um, Get it with a large program. Get it with Rewards, if you think that you're going to spend enough money on that card to accumulate rewards and then pay that card on time and make sure that you keep your credit utilization on that card in a reasonable range. You don't want to be using any more than 30% of the credit that you have available to you at any time. And preferably because you're looking to build your credit You want to be using only 10 to 20% a month and then paying it off. And if you find that you're spending more than that, the way to deal with it is just to call the credit card company and ask them for a boost in your credit limit so that you can spend the same amount but utilize less of your credit. 
Beyond that, you're going to be just fine. Pull your credit score so you know what it is. Pull your credit report so that you make sure that you are keeping track of the fact that there's no information that doesn't belong to you on your credit report. You can do that for free at annualcreditreport.com and you should be good to go. The key is to just protect this credit score so that if and when you decide that you want to buy another home or a car or whatever, uh, you've got the good credit to back up your good behavior. And good luck with that and everything else as you go forward. Awesome. Thank you, Julia. Thanks for having me. And we're going to take a quick break. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with your money tip of the week. If you're thinking of buying a home, here's how to make sure you don't get denied for insufficient income. Lenders are looking for applicants to meet what they call the 2836 rule. Ideally, this means that your mortgage, property taxes, and insurance represent less than 28% of your gross monthly income, and your total debt, including your mortgage, credit cards, and auto loans, doesn't exceed 36% of your gross income. Higher mortgage rates, increasing home prices, and of course, inflation have made that ratio a lot harder to achieve for many potential home buyers. If a new home is in your future, before you start shopping around, figure out your DTI or debt to income ratio. And if you're having trouble with that, think about joining me for Finance Fix. Our next session starts tomorrow. We would love to have you join us. Finance Fix, our eight-week coaching program, can help you figure out what percentage of your income is going to things that you might not need, maybe even might not want, and how to move that money into buckets that make more sense. Thanks for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you so much to Sola Elwali for her amazing advice on making cooking and baking accessible for everyone. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Edelman Financial Engines. Her Money is produced by Haley Pascalides. This show is mixed and mastered by CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Check out our new podcast, How She Does It, for intimate cocktail party-style conversations with today's most talented female leaders. This podcast is also part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. You can find us and other shows like us at airwave.com. Thanks for joining and we'll talk soon.